0: Hi, this is Les Borsay of Wave Financial, bridging the gap between traditional asset management and cutting edge blockchain technology. I'm on the edge of NFT, the podcast bridging the gap between traditional artistry and non-fungible digital work. Keep listening.
1: Hi, NFT curious listeners. Stay tuned for today's episode to learn why our guest today believes contrary action is where growth lies. And all about vegan eating in Los Angeles.
2: Plus, what an iconic brand like Timex is doing hanging out with a bunch of apes.
1: And don't forget, we put together a gathering called NFTLA just a few months back that brought out thousands of the world's most innovative doers in the NFT space. You can head over to nftla.live to get tickets to our bigger, bolder, better, but also just as intimate and impactful event happening in Los Angeles, March 20th to the 23rd, 2023. We will see you there.
3: Today's episode features Les Borsai, co founder of Wave
1: Financial, which offers early stage VC investment, asset management, treasury management, and strategic consulting within the crypto and blockchain ecosystem. Les is a serial entrepreneur and consultant specializing in the cryptocurrency and blockchain industry. After 10 years managing recording artists, he launched and built successful startups in digital music and cryptocurrency. In 2013, he saw the potential of blockchain technology and started working with Ripple, one of the largest cryptocurrencies, as an advisor. He was an early investor in the Ethereum presale in 2014 and now provides advisory services to multiple blockchain companies, including RightMesh, YouNow, and Backstage Play. Les, welcome to Edge of NFT. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, it's funny. That bio was like perfect until the last line. I'm definitely going to have to change that because getting into cryptocurrency early, you interact and deal with a lot of companies. And I swear to God, all three of those companies are gone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right back well. to you now and backstage. <laughs> all right. There you go. But, but no, I'm doing well. And thanks for having me.
1: For sure. We had some fun pre-show banter here. It's going to be an exciting show. I think we're all pretty pumped. So jumping right in, let's talk about this climate that we are in today what will nft launches look like after this blow up in liquidity what are your thoughts there
0: we're in a climate it just feels so normal to me having been in the space for a fair amount of time i think i get a vantage point people i work with get a vantage point of a lot of fluctuations in the market and a lot of volatility if we take a look at the early days when i got in in 2013 or 14 and you look at mount gox or you look at what happens in asia With them outlawing cryptocurrency and making it illegal. And then we have the ICO craze. And then we have the blowout from the ICO craze. And then, I mean, it's like if you've been in the space, you understand there's two types of markets, bull and bear. And when we started the company in 2018, we went straight into a bear market and that sucked, but it makes you stronger. It makes you resilient. And I feel exactly the same way about the market right now. And I have a lot of personal anecdotes about that. But If you're old enough to remember, which I am, and you guys aren't, Web One in particular, the companies that were able to sustain kind of all of the nonsense of scammers and domain squatting, all that nonsense that was happening, they ended up being the bigger companies. And I think Dave, my partner and CEO of the company, he is conservative. He does have an appreciation because of his financial history to appreciate regulatory guidelines. And he made the decision that we weren't going to try to be competitive at the cost of anything that crossed a line. And I think when you look at the market, just to kind of keep expanding into a place, the market is what it is because you had a lot of young guys generate a lot of wealth, but not really understand the basics. And I don't know what it takes to understand a basic. If I take your money, I'm not supposed to use it for anything other than what it's been deposited for. And I'm not supposed to like leverage it long and take a risk with it or cover debts that have nothing to do with those customer funds. I mean, that's the fucking simplest stuff in the world. And and to not understand that, that's kind of the first problem. And I think the other thing that's the bigger problem is when everything is so incestuous and interconnected for that extra percentage for the land grab, I mean, what do you expect? It's a house of cards because everyone wants the customer. I mean, I've seen customer acquisition costs in the market being as high as $600 a user for an account that was $500 a user. Like, I don't understand how that math works. And we sit here wondering why the whole world is blown up around us. And I'll just finish this thought with it's like a poker tournament for us. I played a lot of poker tournaments in my life, and you can be aggressive and try to win the damn thing, but you probably get knocked out pretty quick, or you can sit back and let everyone else knock each other out. And that's really, what we've done just by playing appropriately.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that what I became aware of to a large degree when the news hit about FTX and it was kind of like the mainstream media that's covering this stuff makes everything seem like it's exploding, imploding, like whatever, is I automatically just like thought of all of these projects and people that are just deeply entrenched in the system and it had very little to do with that in particular. We talk a lot about how the creator economy is growing. We talk a lot about putting real estate on the blockchain or functional use cases going to Switzerland right, for, for the World Economic Forum Conference and seeing huge corporations getting deep into blockchain. I was like, oh, like this doesn't very seem as unstable as it looks to many other people.
0: Well, I mean, and that's a whole other point of view that I have. I came from the entertainment business and authenticity mattered in the way artists were broken. I mean it did for me anyway and there were two types of artists. You could be a big pop artist where they throw everything against the wall and hopefully the song sticks, but it's never really a good strong underlying base or you can be an authentic artist that works at it. And this isn't that much different and when I hear about like the big corporates coming in and everyone's so excited about it, it's like I've been through enough cycles with apps and web and other technologies that i'm like okay i'm not excited by that shit like i don't care i want to take a look at what's being developed by these innovative kids and what's being monetized and that's what i'm interested in i'm just not sucked into well universal is going to come do this who cares like everything they're doing is archaic and continues to be because they're looking at the numbers and not the creativity and the innovation and i suppose a lot of my feeling comes from the Napster days and watching Sean Fanning and Sean Parker get thrown out of a building. And then IP being used as leverage. Well, IP isn't fucking leverage, man. Like IP is something that people create with their soul and blood and that whole process. And to use it as something that becomes some sort of a barometer for profit is just kind of gross to me. And I guess I got my idealism back. Somewhere in the middle, I was probably just as gross, but that's how I feel about where we're at and and the corporate's coming in anyway.
3: Let me ask you, man, because in parallel to the music industry, you got the gaming industry, right? And there's been a tremendous amount of disruption over time in gaming, these different business models. You're in a pretty unique position to be able to see some of these paradigm shifts as they occur. I'm curious if we can expect to see another iteration here sometime soon around gaming monetization. and Kind of how it works, how you disincentivize scam like behavior, all these different factors.
0: So I'm doing it right now in a whole bunch of different ways. Wave Financial obviously is a RIA. We're adhering to the SEC and, and it's finance, right? But I was never going to do anything really in entertainment or the reimagination of what a Web3 studio could look like. Because once I got done working with artists, I just didn't want to talk to them anymore. And I still kind of don't. It was a lot of decades talking to artists and it was hard man so i reimagined through this mechanism called SeaWorld what i could do within the cardano ecosystem we're pretty close to cardano and they're the one of the ones that are surviving now in a nice way because they didn't tie their wagon to anything except their own abilities to create and when i think about this web3 studio model i think of it kind of like an antique mall if you guys ever been to an antique mall It's a building that has a whole bunch of shops inside it, and every single shop is different. And I compare that to kind of like what Artifacts did with Nike and Larva Labs and all these different things that are happening that happen together without really the communication to happen together. So when it came to the gaming, I hired some game guys and started to build a game studio. When it came to the rights, because rights are different, I hired a rights guy. I hired an agency person doing a deal with streaming across the board for TV, film, and music merchandising. And all of these things are going to function together based on IP. And I think the thing that people don't really realize right now is IP and ownership is different. We're talking about owners of NFTs being able to exploit those rights. That's very different than a publishing company and a record company owning two sides of a master with six writers that you need to get phone call approval from. And that is the ethos of Web3 and the metaverse. And on the other side of that, there's projects like the Grimlin Project, where Anyone can use it because of Creative Commons. So, I don't think the bigger companies that you talk about that are coming into the space have the first understanding that this is a generational shift of how collaboration is going to happen. And that's bad for business if you don't know where it's going. So, when I started to put all of that together and I started to quietly collect rights, to your point, Everything's different. You like look at Gala and what they did with Townstar and what they did with the Death Row catalog. Like when Eric first did that, I was like, dude, you don't even have the rights to like fucking Tupac song. It just nailed it with like being able to put it into a different environment. I was like, oh shit. And I look at things like YGG and what they did in the Philippines with some of the early play to earn stuff, and they were giving back to the community. And you can really just see what's possible. And, And that's always the thing that's so frustrating about people saying, well, an NFT is just a JPEG and it's not worth anything now. It's like, well, who cares? It's not a JPEG. It's something that's meant to be connected to other mechanisms to create a bigger ecosystem. Cause, sorry, I went on a tangent, dude. You got me
3: on a rant. What the yeah, hell? Oh, it's all good, man. No, that's why we're here, man. I have this combo. Yeah, no, look, I mean, there's so many different elements about what's happening that elevates, really, it's kind of universal themes, right? That we're talking about and how that influences where things go. I mean, do you see something specific within the gaming business model that's shifting? and where do you see this next iteration going like what are some of those attributes that we should expect to see from some of these games as they evolve and new games as they kind of come to bear
0: i mean look it's deeper integration and i mean really the thing that struck me the most is i did a deal with this artist named little pump and i stuck him in a game called avagachi avagachi was one of the first kind of gamified banking nft driven i mean they had all these innovations in avagachi right
2: and yeah Well, Jesse's great. And he came on our show a little while back.
0: Jesse and Dan are incredible. And they're probably too smart for the market in some ways because they can surpass it. But when I did that deal with Little Pump, I didn't want to do anything the way we did it. And it was just a different economic kind of deal. I'm not going to do what they did with apps and just throw stupid money at artists. You want to be part of something that's innovative, then you should be part of it. If you don't, there's someone else. And I don't want to set a ceiling of what people are paying to have artists come participate, because this isn't influencer culture in the same way. If you're not connected and you don't understand what this is, then you're probably not the best spokesperson. And Kim Kardashian, you should be fined, because you probably didn't know shit about what you were promoting. So when I think about how this is going to change, it's deeper integration through immersion. And that's some of the stuff I'm working on, understanding what global streaming looks like and understanding, like, I don't know if you guys saw Lenza that just came out, this really popular app.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's going viral. All my friends are posting these crazy pictures of themselves on Facebook. And yeah, some of them actually look really cool. The ones I did look cool. I mean, a lot of them look cool. But I think
0: when we start to think about AI and how it integrates into Web3 and how that works with immersive technologies in the metaverse, and you start to put that together, where I was going with the Avogadro point was, okay, banking is not meant to be something that's fun. I mean, you can argue that the GameStop You know, moment made banking fun because people were fucking with hedge fund guys. But when you look at Avogadro, it was like the gamification of banking or Coinbase producing a movie, or there's more imagination and there's the ability to be different types of companies and do different things. And we never saw that. Like if you were a telecommunications company, you were doing that. There wasn't a business model that you could color outside of the lines with. And I think that's really cool. We're seeing that. And that's what I kind of want to embrace right now. Is all those opportunities.
2: Very cool. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the market dynamics right now. I mean, in times like this, where there's a little bit more of a bear position, there's consolidation, there's MA. I heard a lot at our Basel of companies buying out smaller projects for their audience. Meanwhile, there's a lot of building going on with DAOs and DeFi sort of coming up with version 2.0. I think there was even a DAO hackathon at an at, art. Basel which was really interesting. I'm curious what perspective you have on that from an M&A perspective in retail like looking at companies like YouTube and Reddit and Starbucks and these types of players and are we going to see some sort of interesting consolidation between web3 and traditional brands?
0: Well, before we talk about web3 and traditional brands, let's talk about the M&A conversation for a minute. We were pretty actively involved in buying an asset and bidding on an asset and it didn't go our way, but We know as a company that where the market is what the market is, we're not going to be able to generate the same returns that we were able to generate last year. So we have to do things that are a bit different. So we're definitely looking at assets and companies that are distressed and the value to build. So we have lots of things we're looking at. We have lots of partners we're looking at those opportunities with. It's a good way to hedge again and do something that is productive and good for the economy and good for the consumer. It's the reason we're doing the media stuff as well. In terms of retail and kind of NFTs and what that looks like, I thought the Tiffany had to really like hold back on buying one of those Tiffany necklaces because I just would have never done anything with it. But they blew those out in a second. I think interesting retail that's specialized is going to work right now. But I went to Universal Studios for the Halloween thing and in every line they had a QR code saying, get your collectible NFT. Now, the thing about that is, is like, I looked at it and I wasn't like, oh, good. It's expanding. Universal's doing this shit. It was like, okay, that's a pretty boring use. I wish they were more innovative. And that's just how I feel about everything. So I think we're going to see it. I mean, here's really the other part of that. When the NFT thing, and I bought my first one in 2017 that I lost, but the NFT thing, when it really started going, you saw two paths. You saw kind of the NBA whatever that thing was called top shots path. And then you saw the authentic projects like art blocks or whatever, you know, everyone who had a Fidenza or a ringer all of a sudden was balling hard. And did I say balling hard, like a 54 year old fucking, I should <laughs> not be saying that stupid shit. Would you like us to edit in something else? absolutely not. that. (laughs) Um, Anyway, I think you saw this real division of where the world's going and you're going to see that. You're going to see Starbucks and other retailers doing their thing. I mean, the thing that was the most cringe out of everything I've ever seen was like Taco Bell talking to Kentucky Fried Chicken, talking to Pepsi Cola. You guys should pull this thing up. I don't know if you didn't see it, but it was on Twitter and they were doing like the whole GM thing as a brand. And I'm just like, ugh, seriously? And that's what it was. It was all those buzzwords. And these brands were doing it. And it just, again, for me, that was like, gross. <laughs> I don't care about those brands. I don't think that's interesting. And everyone looks at, you know what I do think is interesting? I did some work with FIFA. They're smart. And they're credible. And we did some, I don't even know if it's public or if I can even talk about it, but they looked towards the metaverse. As an organization. And I thought that was really smart because whatever is being built now is what's coming next. You're just going to have to pick and choose who those guys are that build a really amazing next opportunity.
2: Yeah. You mentioned Pepsi. And I don't know if you saw that recent documentary, sort of quasi documentary on Netflix about Pepsi and the rewards program they did.
0: After the Harrier Jet.
2: Yeah. But one thing that sticks out in my mind is for them, that was a major shift in their branding in terms of rewarding consumers beyond sort of just buying the product itself. And I do feel like rewards and gamification, rewards in general, are a great use case for using Web3 technology that we're just kind of scratching the surface of so far.
0: Yeah, look, it is. And I'm not saying that the corporates and the retailers are not going to use all of this in the way that they use it for the masses. I'm just like more interested in in Look, I'm scarred, man. I mean, I saw Nirvana at the Roxy and when they were coming off of Bleach on Sub Pop, like that whole thing about being early with music, it just stuck with me. So I'm always kind of interested in in how do I get there early? And by the time it gets to the big retailers, I mean, it's late. It's kind of like, I guess I watched that Von Dutch documentary and I'm like, oh, gross. By the time it got to the big stores, even though they were making all that money, it just wasn't something that was cool. And I'm always like the guy that wants the underdog creator to win. So I'm curious. I mean, look, I even want some of the guys that aren't underdogs. I'm very curious to see what Stani does with the lens protocol. And it's going to be interesting because it's going to be a shift. And even further to that point, when we talk about our data and privacy and who is monetizing it, it's really unfortunate if it's not you and you don't have a say in it. And information is too readily available for us, any of us. Anyone can find out anything about anyone. And I just think we need to be a little more precious with our privacy and our data. So I have and sinker. I'm all about, and I think for me, it goes back because I'm older to the guys that started this thinking, all those early cypherpunks that started this thinking with all the cryptography and where they came from and what they kind of believed in. And I
2: think it comes down to sort of the details of what does co-creation really mean? And I think there's opportunities for co-publishing and co-data ownership and things that just haven't been done yet that are starting to be done. And that's one thing that we're looking at as one of our projects from a media technology perspective.
0: I think anything is promising and available if it's my choice. If I want to be a guy that partners with a big retailer, it's my choice. I want to do that. What I'm really against is someone taking my data and then monetizing and I don't have a choice. I'm really all about choices and who knows, maybe I'll want to do something with Facebook if I'm paid appropriately. And I think the problem with companies is they get bigger is they look at the bottom line and this happened in the music business. The minute the accountants came in, it ceased being a creative place and everything became about the bottom line. And when someone takes your data and monetizes it, I mean, there's security issues with that. And again, not participating in it or not having a choice that just sucks.
1: Mm, yeah, definitely appreciate that. And I feel that almost on a daily basis. Sometimes I just kind of feel worn out by this whole system. <laughs> you know, just remembering, just looking at trying to do like, oh, yeah, DNA test. That's cool. Like I could do that. I could learn about my health. I could check out my ancestry, all this stuff in it. And then I have to go, oh, 23 me wait a second, that's the lady that was married to Sergey Brin of Google, and they're all about owning my data and doing it. She's going to know my DNA? Like, you know how to probably kill me with a pill or something, right? I mean, it's scary stuff. And it's definitely something that I think has worn on us as a culture. I think that's part of what underlying this decentralized movement, owning your data, having more of a say in what's going on for sure.
0: I mean, look, the whole thing, I mean, all of it started with trust, right? And in 23 and me came around for about a half a second. I was like, oh, that, no. Like, I don't want to give them that information. And worse to that, I was in the music business for three decades. I don't want to know I have a kid somewhere. Like, that'd be terrible. Oh, guess what? You're 54 and you got a kid. He's 20. <laughs> like, that would be fucking terrible. So, like, 23 and me doesn't work on any level.
2: By the but- way, a good friend of mine found out she has 45 siblings. Oh, Jesus okay all right there I you go i'm
0: with my family as is and i have one sibling mm.
1: well you know? what surprise les she's your kid i <laughs>
0: not just kidding <laughs> can you imagine me as a father <laughs> <It'd be terrible. laughs> yeah, i don't know
1: uh, let's conveniently shift the topic to uh stable coin regulation <laughs> What do you think about what's going on here? What's next? Do you think there's a way for regulations to kind of spur innovation? The, yeah. Is that an oxymoron? What's going on here? No,
0: look, I mean, I can only speak to personal experience. I watched the hearings the other day for FTX and I can't remember what the guy's name is, Roan Bean or something with CFTC. This guy's brilliant. And I feel really comfortable, A, with the way he was talking about LedgerX and the regulatory process they took. They're the one thing that's solvent out of the FTX nightmare. And we need regulatory guidelines. They always say that a form of regulation is not regulating at all. And that's kind of what I feel like has happened. And once we put the guidelines in place, it's better for innovation because you know when you're stepping outside of them. Not knowing is a lot harder. So, I mean, those hearings were really, really interesting. And when you listen to the politicians, though, I mean, that was scary as shit because there are a handful of them. That actually understood knew about the space. You know, to regulate the space is really complex. I mean, I literally listened to a senator say, "Well, how do you know that it's security?" I listened to another senator that day say, "How are you going to handle all this cryptocurrency as a small organization like the CFTC?" So well, let's answer those two questions for a minute. The Howey test has been around forever, and the difference between a security and a commodity and who regulates has been established in traditional finance markets, and. If you take a look at how big traditional finance markets are, for a senator to say, how are you going to handle this with your small organization when how big is a commodities business, comparatively speaking, to this? I mean, that's my fear. They don't go deep enough to understand the difference between a stable coin and something else. And then when we go even deeper and we start to see decentralization and DeFi, real fine, C-fine, regulated finance, I mean, the whole thing is... Layers of complexity that most people just don't spend enough time understanding. And you throw in NFTs and metaverse and the marketplace and gaming tokens and treasury and layer twos and everything else that's coming. Will you regulate first? They're still stuck on Bitcoin.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's good to see people who have experience in these domains getting into the regulatory positions. Right? It shouldn't be adversarial. Right? It's a cooperative one.
0: The cooperative, yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I haven't done a full-on survey of it, but other domains that are regulated are complex as well. Look at pharmaceuticals or food and drugs and things like this. So it's just a matter of getting in there and taking it on and doing a good job. When you started to talk about it, I was reminded of this quote that I often enjoy. It's a Stravinsky quote. And he says, the more constraints one imposes, the more one frees oneself. And the arbitrariness of constraints serves only to obtain precision of execution. So I always take from that, Stravinsky was a groundbreaking composer, right? But he enjoyed having some rules around what he created. What's that?
0: Igor Stravinsky, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, obviously. He literally wrote music that drove people crazy with its novelty, right? And interesting, but somebody obsessed with rules and constraints in such a way that it actually just helps to provide inspiration and guidelines and just make something creative actually happen.
0: The funny thing about Stravinsky music, and I've listened to it recently for some strange reason, it's one of those things that, like, if you connect to it, it's disturbing. It just makes you feel uneasy by design. And I think that probably plays into constraints. I mean, it seems to me that the way he composed, and I have no idea if this is true or not, it really was down the middle in terms of, not coloring outside of the lines again in a different way, when you talk about the constraints of it, and it's just disturbing to listen to in a lot of ways. It always makes me feel uneasy. I don't know why. So,
3: but that's well, an- hey, man. Speaking of uneasy, I think kind of like where everybody's at in the marketplace, right? Is trying to understand what's the next inflection point going forward here? Is it a further dive into the abyss? Is it a trigger that's going to Drive the the next bull market. At some point, obviously, there will be a bull market. You talked about it right out of the gate. These are normal cycles; they ebb and flow. But predicting exactly when something will happen or why is always very difficult. But you, of course, are in a a very distinctive position where you can see some of these signals that come up, and may be able to point to potential things that are going to be part of the trigger that launches us into the next bull run. And so curious, from your perspective, as to what do you think that might be? Is it like this last cycle, things happening in the DeFi space that really trigger this? Is it some other corner of the industry that's going to be the launch pad for this next bull cycle? Where do you see things launching next? I'm
0: going to give you an answer that's really true to my heart on this one. And it will be just the opposite answer of what my partner, Dave Seamer would say in my lifetime, I think have really kind of clenched with both fists, everything I've ever done and planned and tried to see all the angles. And what I've really tried to do since I've been in this business is not do any of that, not predict, not care. If I could figure out a way to run my own business that was down my lane and I'm doing it for all the right reasons, I wasn't looking for those inflection points. Dave does that because we're really good at risk mitigation and Dave knows when to pull, knows where to invest, knows where to hold back. And that's why it's a good partnership. When I look at it, I'll give you an example. We did an NFT fund and it's above market, performing above market, but it's way, way down as it should be, comparatively speaking, when we bought and what we bought. And everyone who asked me about it, my answer is kind of the same. I don't really give a shit what the market says. I bought these because they're collectible. I invested in these companies because I believe in the companies. I don't dictate the timeline of when the value comes back, but I believe in the blue chips I've purchased and I believe that it does come back. And if I need to cite it to a parable, it's like, well, look at art markets. Andy Warhol, after he died, I mean, he had so much shit out there you could buy for not. Well, that turned a corner. Everything does turn corners. If the selection process is based on valid information, I think, or even if it's not, if I'm buying something that I believe in, that I like, then there's a good chance that it'll work, but maybe not. So I don't really get caught up in, in what's the next. I mean, it happens when it happens. And if I like gaming, which I do, and the metaverse, then I'm just building into that things I see improving the economy. I'm not having to wait for it. Maybe something I do will help it. We don't know what that catalyst is. I mean, and we're usually wrong about it. If we take a look at when China made that big decision, I mean, that could have killed crypto, didn't? Any one of those single things, including FTX, could have killed the whole thing. And it didn't. So if it didn't kill it, how the hell do I know what's going to make it? It's just going to happen. And playing that game where you're like, well, the institutionals are coming. And when they put their money in because it's big, that's going to turn everything.
2: Well, we've been saying that for a long time now. And that hasn't happened. That's my point. That's exactly my point. So saying it
0: and watching it not happen, why do I care? Let me just do what I'm doing. and. There's less competition now because so much of it blew up. And maybe the company's not making what it could have made a year and a half ago, but that's okay. We're still here without problems. And yeah. that's the way I look at it.
2: Yeah. And there's a lot of people that feel that way. I mean, I, we met a lot of them in Miami this past week. These are dedicated folks that are building. And it's one reason why we're going to have a hackathon our NFTLAs because there's a lot of building still to be done here, a lot of innovation. We're just scratching the surface of the potential here. And one of those areas of innovation, of course, that's kind of been talked about for a long time, but I think with the greater amount of attention, most recently is AI. We talked about Lenza and there's the AI art component. Actually, I saw someone that created The ability to create derivatives of your NFT in like five seconds. And that was sort of interesting. We showed it to a couple of founders of these big major projects and they're kind of processing how do I feel about this? I think a lot of us are processing that. I'd love to sort of understand how you feel about AI and the potential scale and impact it could have in the metaverse and beyond.
0: Well, I mean, there's a lot of interesting projects using AI. And one of the ones I love is Aaron McDonald from Centrality. He has the ASM and the Genesis brains, and they're connected to a game, sports, really, and and those players learn how to play. The lens of thing is really cool. I want to go home and do it again. I think I did 200 avatars last night. And I always go back to that story you hear about Meta having to turn it off because it was, I don't know if you guys ever heard that story. There was a story about AI where I think Meta ran some AI, and it started to get too smart, so they turned it off. I mean, here's to the destruction of the world through AI. Who cares? You know, it'd be funny. But look, I just love anything that's innovative. And we've seen all of this before, I think, in science fiction movies and television for the last hundred years. And now a lot of what people have imagined, we have the ability to build a lot of that stuff. I mean, I walk down the street and I don't even flinch. You see those little robots driving around with food in them? Like, what the hell? And we just don't even flinch, do we? I mean, the world is connected in a different way. These big companies have always driven that. And I think now we're going to see just another version of that start to happen. So in terms of AI, I'm like, AI is a trip, because you know that the big companies are doing things with prompts. And it's going to change everything. And it's going to be really strange.
2: Yeah, one interesting use case I learned about, I moderated a panel with some of the sandbox accelerator projects. And there's a company that is using AI to design three dimensional assets that would normally take Tremendous amounts of manpower to create these assets that can be used in the metaverse. And I just think about like just a year ago, the conversations we we're having with projects like SuperWorld and where we were in the ability to sort of create assets in these worlds that it, it felt like that was a big hurdle. That's no longer a hurdle. Fast forward to now with companies like this, you can sort of create three-dimensional objects, not just art. that's 2D. So, I think that's really interesting to think about the impact on architecture, both in the physical world and in the metaverse.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, gathering information and spitting it out in a different application is really interesting. The other thing that's interesting, not just AI, but is like physical versus digital. And we're seeing these combinations. I think there's a company, Link, bought one of the sweatshirts and you're going to end up wearing it in the metaverse. So, like that physical, digital, I mean, just it's the tip of the iceberg on that stuff, too. And again, I think if we have a theme, it's, Collaboration and collaboration of chocolate and peanut butter, things that aren't meant to go together that kind of do. And a lot of it may happen on purpose, but some of it will happen on accident. And that's when we'll see these really interesting things emerge. And Mm -hmm. maybe it won't all be good. I don't know, but it'll sure be interesting.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we've seen a lot of things already, right? And 10, 15 years ago, AI was still something that people were like, I don't know if that's going to actually be anything of significance. People have been working on that, but we'll see. We'd love to get to this next segment, which is our quick hitters where we get to know you a little bit more personally, your kind of story and and what drives you. But first, before we roll out, tell us what projects you've been following in the Web3 space that you get excited about. Our listeners are always interested to hear what other stuff you're paying attention to.
0: It's interesting. With Wave the way it is, we have the MA stuff we're doing right now. This is going to sound terrible. I was going through divorce, I had a lot of time to spend in the metaverse and with games and everything else and now i've been more focused on what i'm building and what we're doing with the company so between those two activities i haven't had a lot of time for discovery i mean it's really amazing i was able to play with the lens of thing to be honest with you but i will get up to speed by like next week we'll come around and i'll spend 14 hours a day looking at shit and be like oh that's interesting
1: tell me this what you could buy uh, one NFT for that NFT fund here in the down market for a deal, what would you pick?
0: Let me answer that other question all the way first. What I'm actually interested in is some of the bigger platforms that are emerging that do multiple things on a foundational level and taking a look at the relationship between NFTs and things like streaming. How's that going to work and what's that going to look like? So companies that are looking at that, The other thing I'm really fascinated with lately is, and I've been digging in deeply, is influencer culture on Web2 and connecting it to Web3 because Web2 is still foundationally faster than anything else and how that's going to open up other monetization. So I won't say that I'm interested in Web3 projects as much as I am in disruptive business models. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm really into. Like, how do we do something that's completely disruptive where we can make money? that people haven't thought about making money in those ways. So, sorry, what was the question?
1: The other question I interjected was, if you could buy an NFT in the down market here, what would you pick?
0: I mean, I'm a sucker for the old school stuff. I would probably just go buy another punk or another ape. And I know, like the thing I love about the apes in particular is if I own it, I can exploit it. I bought a big three basketball team with the fund. It was Ice Cube's basketball team. And then I bought an ape and we put the ape on the jersey. And we did that in a day. So it wasn't because I wanted the ape or even because I wanted the basketball team. I was more curious about the jersey and then taking that and seeing if I could sell it digitally and sell it physically. So that's the kind of stuff that's really interesting. So I like that blue chip stuff in a down market. I mean, it's obvious. You look at the art block stuff. You look at the Zookies. You just look at all of the stuff that they're going to build around and and what that is going to be. I didn't look at loot for adventurers. I'm curious to see what those are trading at. Remember all the rage, those loot cards and Mm -hmm. but i never bought a doodle
2: yeah i was gonna ask you what your thoughts were there they had a great activation the doodle putt and i feel like one of the more interesting aspects of their activation was the word nft wasn't anywhere part of it it's just they're building a brand and while not a doodle holder we're invited as media and like from the drinks to the ambiance to the decor there was clearly a vibe of a real brand that sort of already exists in the world. So kudos to them on that.
0: I'm going to go buy some more cryptodes. I like the cryptodes. That's another one just because of what they represent. I like Gremplin as an artist. And I know my guys are like looking at all the new stuff, like Gabe's thing, whatever those things are called, Digidaku. And it's like, I get that, but I just like what I like. And I would probably buy another Ape or two maybe. But yeah, I mean, it'd be the classic stuff. The thing I'm mourning the most, though, and I'm still kind of pissed about, is the premium I paid for my Tom Sachs Virgin Rocket when I bought it, and it ends up in a museum. This is my point, though. These things end up in museums, right? And they end up with Budweiser putting it on an ad, yet they're trading for nothing. So like, maybe I'll go buy a bunch of Tom Sachs Rockets because I just liked the project and everything he did with it. Like, He launched rockets, these little model rockets all over the world. It was just such a cool art thing yet but didn't pick up the momentum
3: so mm-hmm. yeah it was definitely one of the coolest ones among
0: yeah, everything. really everything that came out man it was really cool. there was a couple that were cool the ferrari rocket and the hermes rocket yeah. were pretty cool so
1: we'll move on to quick hitters jeff's a little bit under the weather do you want me to read through or do you want to take I'm a sure, hold man of yeah. Quick hitters? yeah okay oh, yeah bro all right, sounds good for for the listener i don't know if we mentioned jeff's a little bit under the weather this week <laughs> luckily we got him back upright but i'll save his voice
0: I'll come back upright yes <laughs> all
1: right les next segment's called edge quick hitters a fun quick way to get to know you a little bit better 10 quick questions we're looking for a short single or few word response but you can feel free to expand if you get the urge are you ready i think i'm ready awesome what less is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life
0: nft or the first thing as a child i purchased first thing in your life the first thing i ever purchased in my life it had to be something related to bmx or skateboarding where i bought it myself that's my guess or fireworks maybe i grew up in anaheim so it might have been fireworks well you have to be a certain age with fireworks so maybe not so i think well
1: that think was about- the appeal i definitely remember <laughs> There was like a corner store that would sell us like 11-year-old's fireworks that it was totally not
0: supposed to. What am I talking about? It was candy that I stole properly. But like going into like a corner liquor store and buying candy would have been the first thing I purchased.
1: Yeah. Good answers. All right. What's the first thing, though, you ever remember selling in your life? Drugs. All right.
0: <laughs> no. My dad was a guy that took us to the swap meet. So he loved to barter. He was Eastern European. And the first thing that I sold in he at a machine shop, and I used to ride a Vespa, if you remember those things. nice. And the Vespa had this thing called a flywheel, and it was a pain in the ass to get this thing off if you needed to work on the Vespa. And my dad helped me make these things called flywheel pullers, and we made a bunch of them, and I sold them. And it was just a way to get this thing off, and everyone who had a scooter like, bought these things because no one ever made them. So I mean that's kind of the first business thing I probably sold.
1: It's a great kind of business. You're your own customer. You know people need it. All right. Flipping into a more recent times, what's the most recent thing
0: you purchased? The most recent thing probably some clothing. All right. Fast I mean, fashion, something more expensive. What are we looking at here? Pants, probably more a tie, was, a suit. It was probably more expensive. Actually, no. The most recent thing I purchased—sorry, scratch that. iPhone 14 because I got tired of Apple's conspiracy destroying my 13. So <laughs> I just literally went to buy one. I literally went to—I got sick of it finally, and I went to buy one today. So the Apple 14 Pro, I bought today.
2: When's All it right. coming? There were some supply chain issues there.
0: Is I it- found one, so I just had them grab it because I just—I couldn't take it anymore. Nice. All right. What's the most recent thing that you sold? Oh wow. The only thing I've ever sold, honestly, oh, some cryptocurrency. All right. I sold some cryptocurrency. You know, honestly, it's the only thing I ever really kind of sell. I don't sell NFTs. I've held on to all of those. I'm going to ride those into the dirt all the way to zero. I'm in. But I definitely have sold some cryptocurrency. I haven't sold anything else. What's the
1: motivation? Tax loss harvesting? Are you just done with whatever chain?
0: No, I mean, I sold it because I wanted to buy some other things and I don't do that enough. I usually just hold on to everything. But I was like, you know what? Man, I got a fair amount of this. Let me get just get rid of it so I can buy something else that I want. Sounds good.
1: All right. Flipping the topic. What is your most prized possession?
0: Oh, wow. It's weird because I don't think it's the possession that matters to me. I think it's actually the thought process into the purchase. So thinking about it, researching it, figuring out what I want to get. That whole process, it's like Candide or something, you know, like the journey. That's what I like. But my most recent prized possession purchase was a Mirakami painting from the Gagosian Gallery of an NFT. That so, sounds great. Well, it connected to everything else, artifacts, Mirakami. So I love that. But I wouldn't say it's my most prized possession.
1: Agreed, though. I enjoy sort of the process of looking for things. And then I notice I don't really want to buy. I'm sure i I look,
0: look for a while. I'm trying to think of what I'm coveting right now. And sadly, there's kind of nothing.
3: Yeah. So, I, don't yeah. I always problem. term those things that I have artifacts of adventure. I can look at those things and it's the story behind it that brings the value to me. So yeah, I do relate to that.
1: All right. Yeah. Next question. If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical, service or experience that is currently for sale, what would it be?
0: I think we're here for such a limited amount of time on this earth and physical possessions, you could say an airplane, but you know what? An airplane gets old. That's not something you love. It just makes the experience easier. But what you're really working towards is the experience. And I recently had one where I took this remarkable vacation and It was all about the experience. I mean, I want experiences now. I don't want possessions in the same way. They don't matter. Having said that, I just did this race car thing in Las Vegas and drove the Ferrari 488 GT. And I'm an electric car guy, but Jesus Christ, that was fun. But it was the experience of actually, which leads me back to the old question. There's a country club in Palm Springs that has a racetrack connected to it. That seems like fun. That'd be a good experience in a purchase. You'd need the car and the country club membership with the racetrack.
1: Yeah. And it sounds like it'd be nice to just have like a pass to like drive any car you want, whenever you want, right? That would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like that whole comedians and cars getting coffee thing with Jerry Seinfeld. He's just like, hey, you seem like this car. Let's get this car. Let's drive it around. Let's have some fun. All right. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next
0: generation, what would you choose? Am I trying to be kind or am I trying to be mean? You get to do whoever Les Borsai is. (laughs) You're passing on
1: a trait to the next generation.
0: Honestly, I don't think I'd ever wanna pass on the ADD to the next generation. I think as I've gotten older, I think I have a pretty good moral compass and I think I inherently know what's good and bad and the kindness brings kindness. So if you can do that and pass that kind of attitude on, to the next generation that really works. I'm just really like not down with shortcuts and succeeding just for the money. It's just really not cool. And it just brings too much crap into your life. And I think when I was younger, I would have done that every which way I could. I didn't know any better. I just wanted the money. Whatever I take, but I want the money. And as you get a little bit older, you kind of go, oh wait a minute, taking that approach isn't the right one. So
1: yeah. Yeah. Sounds like some kind of authenticity. Yeah.
0: Authenticity is, yeah, I mean, that's the thing across the board. If it's authentic, it's usually pretty cool.
1: Yeah. All right. The next question, which you may have already answered, if you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would it be?
0: Oh, man. I think for me, there's all sorts of like origin traits that create anxiety. And I think like anxiety is just a completely pointless feeling. So it'd be nice to get rid of the underlying causes of that. If I could relax a little more, I have the need to just constantly work. And I can't tell if it's because I like to work or I'm just substituting other feelings I have by burying myself in work. That's a terrible trait and a great trait at the same time, because like, if you keep working, you can do okay, but that's not what life's about. Like you don't get to the experience if you're just working all the time.
1: Yeah, agreed. And I think it's just a common issue nowadays is that just general anxiety that people have. My theory is it's just a symptom of our sedentary, our sedentariness. We're designed to run around outside and do things and we kind of...
0: Yeah, it's funny you should say that because like I just started martial arts classes again. I seriously, this is no bullshit. I'm going to take a salsa class. I don't know why. I don't have rhythm. I can't dance for shit. I just thought, you know, maybe moving my body a little bit is going to be a good thing. So I'm just going to do this and not think about it. And that's something I couldn't do when I was a little bit younger, even 10 years younger. Like the idea of someone looking at me and not being able to do something was terrifying. And there's this stuff called contrary action where we have to do the things that we're uncomfortable with because that's where growth lies. And I'm really big on that. It's like, oh, this doesn't feel good. feels terrible, actually. Go do it. So love
1: it. All right. What did you do? This is the question number nine. What did you do just before joining us on the podcast?
0: I was actually downstairs just answering emails. It was literally nothing riveting. Gotta do it. All right. And that final
1: question on the flip side, what are you going to do next after the podcast?
0: Funny enough, it's a bookend. I'm going to go answer emails. <laughs> I have a dinner tonight that I have to also deal with. Yes, yeah, see, because I like to isolate there, my secret's out. I have to deal with a dinner. I had to deal with a dinner last night. So.
2: So, Les, I've got a bonus question for you, selfishly, because you've been in L.A. a long time. What is your favorite restaurant in L.A. to go to when you just want a good meal and nothing else matters?
0: I've been vegan now for a while. So I suppose there's there's a restaurant that's a great vegan restaurant. Crossroads is always fun. But there's this place I think it's called Mr. Charlie's on La Brea. And as a kid, when I was in like elementary school, for whatever reason, they gave us McDonald's hamburgers on Tuesdays. And my parents wouldn't let me participate in that program. It always pissed me off. And no one's trading food with me. So when I got them, they were like this magical moment and tells you how McDonald's gets you. So this place, Mr. Charlie's, has these cheeseburgers. Same thing I had when he was kids. It taste the same and they're vegan. So that's a guilty pleasure.
2: There you go. So my favorite vegan spot is Plant Food and Wine on Abbott Kenny.
0: Yeah, I don't live out on the west side. I've been there and it's really, really good. I went to this place actually in Hollywood that was a Japanese restaurant that served plant-based sushi. And that was really kind of interesting and weird.
2: Well, cool. um,
1: I think I know the spot. Nicole Buffett hipped me to a place called Lac A-U-L-A-C. A-U-L-A-C.
0: In downtown, it's good. Yeah,
1: that's really good vegan food, yeah next topic hot topics news of the day let's get into it nft loss harvesting made easy no liquidity no problem so there's a silver line in the crash in the nft market millions of dollars are potential tax savings to help nft investors claim their tax savings before the end of the year coin ledger recently launched an nft tax loss harvesting tool and yeah this is the word of the day i guess i mentioned it earlier i didn't even know this was our hot topic and so the one thing I don't fully understand tax-loss harvesting, I've talked to various people, the story that I've gotten is that you can only offset your losses for taxes on gains, right? You can't offset taxes in general on tax-loss harvesting. So I guess that's something I have to contribute to the question. The conversation is like a question around that, you know, the strategy. There, there's of
2: something, it. I mean, there's something interesting about this tool though, which is that they will buy your illiquid NFTs, right? So... This is not the first time I've heard of people that are snatching up these low for NFTs. And I've got to think that there's some really creative upside for them if they conglomerate all these interesting NFTs that they can do fun things with. It's a creative marketing campaign. And yeah, it does make sense to think about these things before the end of the year.
0: I'm not going to say that I've never done it, but I will say this because I had a bad experience selling early, selling things. I shouldn't have sold. I don't sell anything right now. And to get the benefit, you got to sell it or get rid of it one way or another, burn it. And I just can't bring myself to do it, man. So I would rather just take the hit and hold because there's no way anyone on this podcast can tell me what's going to be big next year. You just can't. And everything that kind of is explosive might happen for a reason we didn't see coming. So why get rid of
3: anything? (laughs) I already bought them. Consistent with holding, right? Which was your mantra earlier in the episode. Yeah. I mean, if you had some big gains and you made some big purchases as a follow-up to some of those gains and you took some losses and you had some other wins, maybe it's a move that makes sense fundamentally for you. But if you have a number of different assets that you could say that about, you don't necessarily have to sell your NFTs. You could sell a number of things and still be able to reap the rewards, short-term gains, long-term gains, right? Like there's a bunch of different ways to do it doesn't have to be the nft right
0: i mean i'll tell you the one thing i'd do it with those fucking bamboozlers Is one time i got really pegged like i lost on that thing every which way but sideways and i got in too late i sold i mean this whole thing i hate those things but yeah i might do it on that you remember that project yeah, yeah it was like one of those ponzi's which one
3: <laughs> <I was called> <laughs> bamboozler <laughs> Oh, the bamboos! Oh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. 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 like a red flag there,
1: bamboozlers.
0: Yeah, well, I know. But, you know <laughs> all the Ponziomics, and I just I missed on that thing over and over and over again. Yeah. I yeah. Yeah. yeah,
3: yeah. So there's some spots where that makes sense. Mostly, good time for everybody to think about like taxes, though, and what your setup is, where you have exposure, where you don't. Make those moves now. Many of them you can't make after the end of the year. Some you can around right. retirement funds and things like that. But you got to look at that stuff. Now's a good time to do it.
1: And if you've got your eye on that board, ape or that CryptoPunk, and you know a friend that has one, you can, this is how you can sell them on selling it to you, right? Hey, it's a tax loss harvesting, right? And then you could grab that CryptoPunk you want less.
0: You know, I might want to buy a noun, actually. They were always really kind of overpriced, but they're cool.
2: I don't know but what they're the, going All right. So I met some nouns in Miami, and yeah. they are really cool people, too. And they're working on an initiative called Nouns on the Ground. So look for more nouns, out having fun, and they're doing something with the Rose Bowl. All right.
0: You know what else I'm going to buy? So I'm really like bullish on the Cardano ecosystem right now, and not just because we work closely with them. The Ape Society was really interesting, actually. Like These guys are more active than any community I've ever seen. It was the craziest thing. So I mean, I just kind of believe in some of the communities that are coming out of that ecosystem.
3: Let me say one last thing just on tax Hmm, loss harvesting, by the way, like that they don't really mention in this article and that isn't part of this service. And that is that traditionally when you talk about tax loss harvesting, you're not just selling the asset, but you also traditionally talk about buying it on the back end 30 days later. Like if it's a stock, for example, that's usually part of the combo because you actually still believe in it, but you're trying to harvest the loss and then still make the long-term bet. And so when I first saw that by that service, I was thinking they'll buy it from you and then return it to you. But there was some mechanism to enable that. Hold that it. wasn't the case. But like I thought that would be pretty cool if there was a mechanism that would do that where it still made economic sense mm. and maybe they got a royalty related to I don't know like something that would enable like more traditional tax harvesting. Uh,
0: yeah, uh, cryptocurrency and NFTs are still the wild west, especially where taxes are concerned. So like you know, as as good as it sounds to do the harvesting that way and rebuy it and like, I don't need to do anything that's gonna like raise a little bit of a lag. But the
1: smart contract aspect, yeah. I think, is very interesting here. Like you uh, say, yeah. Jeff, like it's cool. You could just yeah. make a smart contract that says it comes back to my wallet in 30 days. It's, it's the legally it's, defined period that, yeah.
3: Right. Very traditional kind of above board you yeah. know, approach, right? Rebuy in 30 days. If you go under, yeah, of course, yeah, you don't yeah, get yeah. the benefit. Yeah. And the,
1: the other interesting aspect here is if you just trade your NFT for another NFT in the same collection, does that count as buying a different asset, right? Because you have yes. to. Yes. Why not? Well, okay. Thank you, regulator Joshua Krieger. <laughs> By the All definition right. of NFT, yes, <laughs>
3: hence, hence non-fungible token, right? Something non-fungible. Different. Yeah, right. apparently. Yes. Yeah, okay. but would a regulator say? That's where I don't know. That would be yeah. that would be funky. Like your
1: regulators love to have a problem with things. All right, let's move on to the next hot topic. Timex launching a twenty-five hundred dollar board ape watch and matching NFTs. Owners of Board Ape Yacht Club NFTs will soon be able to show off their PFPs on their wrist enshrined in a a one-of-a-kind Timex watch. Takes a licking and keeps on ticking.
2: So yeah, so I popped by the launch party for this event on South Beach. It took about 90 minutes to get over there, but it was quite good Mexican food and a bunch of really fun apes that were hanging out, celebrating this collaboration with Timex. We actually interviewed Timex. There'll be a short segment on social media from that event. I didn't know this was going to be a hot topic. I don't know if you guys knew that I did that, but it was cool to see an iconic brand step up to the plate and try something new. It started with an RFP, and then it ended up with a very different collaboration that felt a little bit more authentic to the community. They had some board apes as advisors. And Board of Adventures helped with it, the Miami Ape, a bunch of different folks that got involved to help them up with this collaboration. And basically, once you mint your watch, it's there forever. And there's a custom etching that you're allowed to do on the back of the watch. I think it is cool. I think it's interesting that the Board Ape community chose to partner with Timex. I think there's some interesting dichotomy there with those two brands coming together. And I think that's what makes it special. So, you know, I give everyone involved courage to launch something like this in the current market and kudos for Timex for trying to do something authentic in the space. 555, I think it's 2E. So not your average Timex, but it's a really special limited edition collectible piece. When's that drop? December 4th, technically. I think you could... Yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. So you could have also gotten one at the pre-party event. And yeah, so Sherry Fabiani was the vice president global marketing who I spoke with. And they were just super excited to do something in Web3 and super committed to doing it right. I know it wasn't easy for them. They had to move a lot of red tape around to do this type of project that was a one-on-one for each ape holder that participated. And they did it as a proof of concept.
0: It It must have sold out like in five
2: seconds, right? We should check it out and see what happened there. But I will say that they own a lot of a number of bigger brands like Guess and whatnot. And so for them, this was an experiment, not just for their Timex brand, but for all their brands. Uh, I'm
0: gonna have to go look at that because I was thinking about watches recently. And that's cool that they did that actually. See, that's a brand I'd wanna work with, even though I don't love Timex as a watch brand, but
3: it's cool that they did that. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think you in, know, in also in general, just. What's happening with IP? And you mentioned it earlier around Apes lesson. The thing is, is there's so much cool shit happening there and it's just being developed and and refined and iterated on lots of learning. Some stuff works, some stuff doesn't. It sounds like the Timex took a pretty cool approach here, like really co-creating this, like true co-creation, not just like, let's come up with the concept internally and then get a couple of people to help us promote it, which I think so many big brands do. So that's kind of cool. And Josh, I didn't know those details. It's kind of cool to hear about some of that stuff. It didn't even come through in the article. Gary V is talking about it a lot, just the iteration he's doing with V Friends. And it's neat oh, to wow. see that community do things like that. So
2: I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, I met the whole Timex team. They came in from all over the world to launch this thing at Art Basel. That's very cool. That's cool.
1: Yeah. A lot of cool stuff going on at Art Basel. Fashion, I think, is a place where there's a lot to be explored. And we saw G Money mm-hmm. his pop up and he was doing fashion, basically printing t shirts on demand for. Folks who had the appropriate NFT and they had scannable codes in the shirt itself where you could kind of I got a couple Po apps, right, from people's shirts. And it was actually fun, right? It was fun to like do more with fashion, right? So all this stuff is happening and it's cool to see it at Art Basil.
0: Yeah. I missed all it right. this Yeah, go ahead, Les. I thought I missed it this year.
1: Yeah. Let's what else can we do
0: to make less jealous, Josh? That didn't make me jealous. Party. The sandbox party was incredible. Yeah, what are you talking about? <laughs> That's a blessing. (laughs) I don't want to go anywhere. (laughs) Nice. Nice.
2: Les prefers NFTLA. It's closer to home. There There you go. go.
3: Yeah. And that's even a stretch, but I can make it there. (laughs) Right on, man. Hey, so I know we were talking a little bit earlier about the segment that we have, the shout out segment, where we like to give any folks within your orbit or realm of influence some love. So Les, what do you got for a shout out for our listeners today? Honestly, I was really stumped.
0: This is the only question you stumped me on. I was just like, who does my orbit that I actually want to say something to? And like, I couldn't come up with anything. I was just like thinking about people that inspired me, like Richard Prince as an artist inspires me, Mirakami. <laughs> like those people kind of inspire me for sure. But Chuck Palahniuk, who's this great author. So anything that has kind of a darkness attached to it, I suppose, I don't really have a shout out for someone that's like in my universe or orbit,
3: which is yeah sad really it's a tough one obviously because they've moved the needle for you that's really what we're looking at there to give that love to folks that do move the needle for you whether in your immediate vicinity or not right yeah well wednesday adams is the current one if you're watching that show
0: on netflix that show is so funny
1: yeah i think part of what we find valuable too about this segment too is putting things on people's radar right that they might not find out about and so here's to that right i think i'll go up and pick up some chuck baloniak and read it now and look into richard prince's work yeah
2: and i'm gonna also wednesday adams i'm gonna go enjoy that show later on this evening with my girlfriend it's really great she
0: does such a great job as an actress so i think you'll have some fun with that and i don't i've been able to watch a lot of tv lately so
1: all right well thanks for pulling those together less your difficulties i still think it was a fun shout out and we're about to Wrap up here with the show. But before we do, I want to make sure we find out where listeners can go to learn more about you and the projects you're working on.
0: Well, I'm going to have to update that bio because, like, those are like old projects from like 2014. I mean, honestly, Instagram or Twitter or whatever. I mean, probably Instagram more. I don't have a lot of followers on Instagram, but I'm pretty current with it lately. And I don't know why. I guess I was a late starter with all that social media stuff.
1: But, you got to get all the right bathing suits and, you know, I don't the have right them. filters. I'm
0: trying, and, you know, I'm yeah. trying to be eye candy. It's not working.
1: <laughs> the right hotel um, partnerships. Yeah.
0: But yeah, I mean, that's probably the only place that Perfect. makes sense. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. This was super fun.
3: All right. Well, I think we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. So thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on the Starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to Spotify or iTunes right now, rate us and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Look us up on all major social platforms by typing edgeofnft with no spaces and start a fun conversation with us online. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go, just like you please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. We understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at
1: your own risk.